Hi, friends. Welcome to Key Ministry, the podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Sandra Peoples, and today I am joined by Stephanie Hubach, author of Same Lake, Different Boat, and the author of Abiding in God's Presence, a 31-day devotional for life for special needs parents and caregiving parents. And so I am very excited to get to talk to Stephanie today because she and I have so much in common. I have been mentored by her through her books and anytime we get to talk in person. And so I am super excited that you are going to get to listen in on our conversation today as we really focus on how churches can meet the spiritual needs of special needs parents. And so I know our primary audience is ministry leaders, but there's a big overlap between ministry leaders and special needs parents. And so we're gonna talk through how, as special needs parents, does the gospel provide hope for us and how, as ministry leaders, we can encourage the spiritual development of the parents that we serve in our ministry. So, Stephanie, welcome. Why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself? Oh, thanks a lot, Sandra. It's great to be here. I always enjoy talking to you, so <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I uh, live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it's the home of the Amish, right? So uh -huh. uh, um, I have uh, my husband, Fred, and I have two adult sons, our oldest son, Fred, and his wife, Cecilia, and our granddaughter, Caroline, all live down in the D.C. area. And then our younger son, Tim, is our son with Down syndrome. He lives um, at home with us in his own, own apartment. So let's see, for many years, I led the ministry for the Presbyterian Church in America, which used to be called MA Special Needs Ministries. Now it's called Engaging Disability. Uh, and so uh, that ministry continues on right now for the last five years I've worked with our denominational seminary covenant seminary in St. Louis so I'm their research fellow in disability ministries which sounds a lot more hooty toot than it actually is <laughs> <laughs> so I do a lot of networking with people I try to help uh build into uh pastors and uh Christian ed leaders and counselors uh, at the seminary before they graduate and awareness of uh uh, disability ministry, how to think about it biblically, what are some of the needs families face, uh, how can the, how can people who are church planters, you know, begin churches with this as part of their DNA, right, so that it, yeah. you're not trying to, to uh, steer the Titanic in another direction. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So, you really have your hand in so many areas because you get to go and invest in future pastors and future missionaries. And I mean, like all these people who you equip and then they go out and that's a really exciting calling, I think. Yeah. The, the seminary has been great because I used to teach a class there and then they said, you know, probably the best way for us to do this is to embed you in different things that we do so that there's more exposure to this topic across, you know, across uh, students than there would be if it's just the folks that take the one, you know, one credit class that I used to do. So, um, so yeah, so the Christian ed students all read my book and go through that. I mean, all the, all the, all the students go to have to take the basic Christian ed class. And um, then there's, I also uh, get uh, embedded into the counseling yeah. Uh, classes and the apologetics and outreach. So, so it, it's kind of fun because you get, to, it's a completely different dance, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of those, those areas. Um, and uh, so I'm basically a jack of all trades and a master of none, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that I'm just 30, I'm the thirty thousand foot view person. Yeah, right? that's good. <laughs> well, and the universe, the universal appeal of your mess message, like it needs to be heard by everybody, and and this isn't just a children's ministry issue, or it's not just a you know, special needs ministry issue that what we talk about and how we try to equip churches applies to everybody, counseling, ethics, systematic theology, it falls under all of those headings. So it's a really cool opportunity. I use your book, Same Like Different Boat. Um, I teach a cohort in the Mm -hmm. fall and in the spring. And I I use your book as one of our textbooks. Um, And it's super helpful, especially that the belonging and how we families have to make some they have to be vulnerable about what they need from a church the church has to be vulnerable and make some changes to meet those needs and then they're then you come together with that sense of belonging and so that's been a really helpful framework for me and for the students that I take through my cohort do you know do you know where I actually started that little, yeah, I saw you and we're talking, it, our, your listeners can't hear this, but you are drawing a diagram with your hands. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know which diagram you refer to. And I actually used that in a, uh, in one of Tim's uh, third grade IEP meetings, right? Oh, Where wow. I was, I was a teacher, we were having a particularly challenging time with, and that's where I came up with the model that I used in the book, right? Um, and ended up applying it to to church life but that's kind of it's kind of funny how how god just uses these very practical challenges in our lives right to to help birth out okay how do i how do i bring the gospel to bear on this iep conversation yeah that's really cool um i love that like creating a solution for you created a solution for churches you're like i need this i need this framework this language and then when you came up with that, think of the, the thousands of families and churches that are impacted by um, you articulating that and yeah. making that happen. So that's super cool. All right. So in our time together today, we're really going to focus in on how churches can support parents like you and like me, because um, we have some uh, unique needs. <laughs> There's really a lot of things that, that are challenging in a unique way to special needs parents, especially in those things that you talk that that really are the long haul. We're in these kind of things for the long haul. So what are some challenges that you think of that are unique to special needs parents or that we just may feel more acutely as special needs parents? Hmm. Uh, I think in same like different boat, I quoted uh, Helen Featherstone, who uh, wrote a book, oh boy, back in the 80s, I think, called A Difference in the Family. And she talks about how families affected by di- by disability experience differences of degree, right, than other families. And so there's this tendency sometimes to, even especially in ch- at large churches, right, to put people with disabilities and and, and families affected by disabilities and some other, some other distinct kind of category and ministry silo. And I, and I'm not saying that that's, that's inherently wrong because that's how large groups of people tend to organize themselves. Right. I think it also communicates though, that the the lives of these people are wholly different. W H O L I Y completely different, right. Than other people's lives, which really just isn't true. It's all the same stressors and struggles that everybody has, but often to a difference of degree in a cumulative way, right? So not just one or two areas like education or finance, but education, finances, legal issues, right? um, Social, 
aspects of life every and so it's the cumulative effect of those things that then creates uh, can create a lot of stress um, in the life of a family affected by disability but it doesn't mean there are things we can't understand or relate to if we don't have a disabled family member right you can still it's still connecting points across the board on all those topic areas yeah um, so that's one you know I think the stress that comes from that cumulative effect I think one of that one of the uh, outpourings of that, kind of stress in the life of a family, especially if they're not well resourced um, by friends, by uh, uh, caring diaconal ministries in the church, by even uh, decent social service systems, you know, in their area is uh, is a high level of frustration, right? That can, yeah. can come and out of that can flow some resentment, right? And so I think that there's, it's kind of a triad, right? It, if the stress isn't, isn't, uh, addressed well and understood well, it can lead easily to frustration that can, can kind of make you settle, you know, yeah. in an area of, of resentment and resignation, right? Yeah. Uh, versus, versus acceptance, which is a whole different animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can get worn down sometimes, like you said, mm-hmm. resignation, like we're yeah. in this for the long haul. And if we yeah. don't develop some good habits or have that good support system early on, by the time you're my age with a teenager, yeah. it just, and, and you feel especially isolated because your teenager can't do the things that other teenagers are doing. And so the enemy whispers in your ear, you are too different. You can't find community here. It's not worth reaching out and asking for help. And so we have those hints of it and then they're compounded mm-hmm. by something that may be small and then it grows and grows. And until we can fight that with the truth of the gospel, we're just in our loneliness or frustration or anger or resentment or whatever we would tend to struggle with anyway. Right. Just compounded, as you said. And then, and then you can end up in a really into this, category of hopelessness right and that's and and of course the message of the gospel is one of hope not not just for the next life but for this life as well right and so uh that's where i think the power of the gospel to really address i think we fail to see how much the gospel just really addresses the everyday issues of our lives in a way that infuses hope right whereas special needs parents often will try to find our hope in the, in the material resources around us. If I just had better funding or better caregivers or caregivers that actually showed up half the time, yeah. right? or whatever the, the thing is, a better teachers for if your kid's still in elementary school, right. Yeah. Versus, and it's not that those things don't matter. I'm not saying the material doesn't matter, but that, but that our the anchor of our hope has to be in Christ himself and in his provision for us, right? Um, Both material and centrally of himself, right? I mean, that's where the hope of the gospel anchors us is Christ himself enough, right? I mean, even if I don't get the other resources that I really want or feel that I need. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, in the gospels, the hemorrhaging woman, and how it Mm -hmm. says she went to doctor after doctor and couldn't find relief. And so all she wanted on that day that she encountered Jesus, she thought if I just touched the hem of his robe, I would find hope. And then he feels that and he offers her so much more. He offers her 
everything that he is, calls her daughter, heals her. And so you think of all those other places that, and we all, I mean, we do have to go to the doctor. We do, you know, so those aren't wrong, but if we're looking at all those places for our hope, then it's in the wrong, it's in the wrong direction. But then we think, well, we'll get by with just a little bit of Jesus when he offers us so much more of himself. Yes. You know, that uh, Rebecca McLaughlin has a book out. The name is escaping me at the moment. It's a, it's a book on apologetics. And she has a chapter in there where she looks at uh, John 11, where, uh, where Jesus lingers for several days and La- his good friend Lazarus dies, right? Yeah. So he gets there and Martha says, oh, you know, master, if you had been here, that he would not have died. But I know, right, that he, that you could still do something about this, yeah. right? And, and Jesus, you know, says to her, well, I, you know, I, there, you know, there will be a resurrection, right? And, um, you know, I may be getting my story mixed up here. <laughs> I, the idea, the point being, <laughs> sorry, the, the idea being that, that in the conversation between Martha and Jesus, Martha is living in this space, right? Between what she wants Jesus to do and what Jesus is ultimately going to do. And what Christ does in that moment is point her to himself and says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? That my, your very life, Martha, is not in Lazarus being resurrected, but in actually completely and dependently focusing on me. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I tangled the, the, uh, <laughs> the no, words up a little bit, but there, uh, you know, and, and again, that can sound really uh, kind of abstract, uh, but, but it's not because God, and that's what part of what I did with the devotional, you know, the parenting and disabilities abiding in God's presence. It's, um, is is really uh, looking at how is God very practically with us, with yeah. us and for us and all these different dimensions of special needs parenting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about it is especially because it's a devotion book is that you, you can sit with that day after day, 31 days, you can sit mm-hmm. in it and, and feel that hope uh, that you write about with the practical examples from your life. And then pointing us to scripture. And then of course, reminding us of that hope that we have. Mm-hmm. So what are some uh, things, some themes that you really go to in the book? Maybe a a favorite daily devotion or uh, something that you've even continued (laughs) to struggle with even after, you know, sometimes I think we write a book and then we're like, okay, we've mastered whatever the book has written, we wrote the book on. But in something like this, God just continues to teach us and show us uh, the beauty of the gospel and the truth of his word. And so what are some what are some themes from the book that you're still learning or um, some answers to the challenges that we have as special needs parents? I think, um, I, you know, I, t- I told you when we were talking earlier that I, I skimmed through it again this morning before I, uh, people think that you'll remember everything you wrote in a book sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, ah. yeah. So I skimmed through it again and I, and I was, uh, and I kept, and I thought to myself, I need to reread this. <laughs> I need to reread this for myself. And and I do think that section on God's faithfulness, you know, um, that we have a tendency sometimes to think that God's faithfulness. Okay. Well, here, so you're, you're on Facebook, right? And then somebody says, oh, we got the house we wanted. God was faithful, right? Yeah. 
what happens when you don't get the house you want? It is God yeah. not faithful, right? So that God is God, God is faithful because He's our covenant keeping God. Like He is, He has has committed Himself to us in an unwavering way. And and when you look through, if you go through and read all the passages in Scripture that talk about God's faithfulness, I haven't figured it out statistically, but probably at least half of them also say, and his steadfast love. It'll be coupled together, God's faithfulness and his steadfast love, his faithfulness oh. and steadfast love. And it's that his faithful, unwavering and capable commitment to us, right? He's not only committed to us, he's <clears throat> he's capable <clears throat> of seeing the relationship all the way through, right? Yeah. Um, is pours out of his steadfast, unwavering love for us right and um and i think the longer i've been on this journey the more i need to just continue to focus on god's faithfulness to us and 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 it's not because we got stuff we wanted right yeah but because he is literally with us and for us in even the small challenges of the day you know and you've been tim's 30 now right so uh, there's a whole new sort of wave of things you experience in the adult yeah. period in terms of the, not necessarily, in some ways you've kind of found your stride, right? A lot more easily, but in other ways, there's a, there's a relentlessness to it, uh, to the patterns of, of certain aspects of, of living with disability, right? That, um, that you just can, just can really weigh you down, right? Yeah. If, you aren't focused on, on God's covenantal, faithful, steadfast, abiding love to infuse us, right, with the very energy we need to do the task before us for the day. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like that concept of resilience. His faithfulness leads to our resilience in the exactly. in the face of every day waking up and you still have this calling and you still have to be this parent and and all your other peers are are experiencing the same age of life that you are in a very different way because they're not still caretakers in the same way that you are. And so what is how do I hold on to resilience and and it's God's faithfulness and his steadfastness for us and and that it meets us every morning with new mercies. So yeah. That's really cool. I love that. Um, one of my favorite ways when I face a new challenge is to remember what God has done in the past. And so that's a, a way that I speak the gospel to myself to say, mm -hmm. God didn't fail me here or here or here or here, and he's not going to fail me today. And so yeah. that's that, that ongoing steadfast love that he has for us. Yeah. My dad used to always say that uh, faith is formed in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Right. Oh, by, by looking, by looking at, at how, by remembering. And you see that in the, in the Old Testament in particular a lot. Remember, 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 yeah. right? Remember the faithful works of the Lord. And it's it's not that those us remembering validates God's faithfulness. It's just that we're so prone to forget yeah. <laughs> that the God who cannot be, he cannot not be faithful. I mean, yeah. and, terms of his character it's impossible for him to not be faithful but it's very possible for us to forget yeah right yeah yeah so yeah. Right. and i think a part of that is telling which is what what you and i do in these conversations and what you do in the book is when i need to borrow some of that faith 
Yeah. Your life speaks that to me because you have seen God faithful over and over again. And so it's remembering and it's also telling like how we tell others, this is how God was faithful to me. And you can borrow some of that today if you need to, because I can, I have lived this, I have seen it and I know we will see it in your life as well. And I will need to borrow it from you at some point again. Yeah. Which I think is one of the ways that that families like ours bless the churches that we're a part of. I mean, if yeah. if a family hasn't experienced uh, like a plan B situation, you know, getting right. a diagnosis and then they do that at some point and then who are they going to look to? Well, they're going to look to somebody else who has experienced that in their own lives and they see that in families like us. And so then we have an opportunity to speak the gospel into their lives and encourage them to say, we've seen God faithful again and again. So I just, yeah, I think, I think relentlessness, or, you know, which I often refer to as one of those kind of theme. And I think you'd agree with me in this themes yeah. that runs through the life of a family affected by disability. I, I have a friend who says that disability is not like cancer. You don't get to the other side of it. And it, yeah. it doesn't say that to minimize cancer, right. In any way, it's right. a terrible community, but it does. There's, I always tell people, if you like closure, don't get into disability. (laughs) Right. But, but here's the thing, I guess what I'm trying to say is that relentlessness is something that many people actually can't do experience in different areas of life and don't actually see that connecting point across categories. You know, people who struggle with addiction are in struggles that are relentless. Poverty can be relentless, right? Um, uh, all sorts of, of, uh, situations that involve, uh, uh, say emotional suffering, right. And trauma can be relentless, right. So there's, there are a lot of areas in life where there is relentless difficulty. And I think especially these families are particularly suited to actually, uh, okay. I'm going to say it this way without it sounding snarky school, the church in the best kind of way, yeah, <laughs> right. On how to, how to, we know how to do crisis care, right. We d- aren't so good typically at, at, relentlessness as right. a body. Right? Yeah. Um, we like the stuff that you can check off the boxes, deliver the casserole, send the card and yeah, move on to the done. next thing. Right. Um, and so I think we have a lot of areas to grow and I'm not judging the church for this in any way. I love the church. You know, we, at, as a society, we put people with disabilities out in the margins and institutionalize them for an entire century. Right. Yeah. And so, so we're still, playing catch up, I, as you know, in the United States, for sure, in terms of how do we do this much more integrated dance that the scriptures talk about that we just culturally had removed ourselves from, um, as a society for a long period. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's, that's one of those ways the church can come alongside families like ours and encourage us and strengthen us, but they, collectively get compassion fatigue because of the relentless the relentlessness of it. So that's a really good way to frame it. And so we have to continue as a church. Now, now I'm speaking at we as church ministry leaders, we have to go to the gospel every day and be renewed by that so that we can turn around and pour into the people that we're caring for, the people that God brings into our community. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, gospel, gospel fuel, right? <laughs> yeah, 
I like just that. Like, just like gospel, you know, you get gospel fuel for forgiveness by remembering how much Christ has forgiven you, right? Yeah. You get gospel fuel for mercy, right? By remembering, by recognizing how much mercy, voluntary sorrow that enjoins itself to the suffering of another, how much God's moved toward me in that way, right? And so um, all those different, different ways are what actually, when we remember again, how God has been faithful to us in those ways that we are actually able to turn around and, uh, and help to infuse that right into the body life of wherever we are. Yeah. It's really easy for churches to look at families affected by disability as consumers of their care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, it, which I'm, and I'm not minimizing that there is care that actually needs to be, <laughs> yeah. be offered, right? It does, but it's, but it's so much more than that, right? Um, and there's always going to be a uh an unhealthy tension if people with disabilities are perceived as consumers of the church's care and not those who have gifts and an insight right and uh blessing to bring to the body of christ right so so i guess my my goal is always to help churches to look at families affected by disability with a positive sense of expectancy like, yeah. ooh, is God going to do here and turn our heads 90 degrees in a way we never had before to see the whole world differently in the way that he's done that in my life with Tim, right? Yeah. So That's awesome. I love that, that reframing of, yeah. well, here's my expectation. They're going to come in and we're going to have to invest in them and there will never be a return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times that return on investment is is different you know we just need different eyes to be able to see it and and to value uh what families like ours bring to the churches that we attend so and i think that also is kind of this avenue by which god's doing a broader work right in areas of race socioeconomic differences cultural differences right in terms of 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 broadening what uh, jeff mcnair would call uh social ramps right it takes the idea i Jeff's done a really neat piece of work taking the idea of universal design and architecture, right? Where you try to integrate architectural design that anticipates someone with a disability is is going to be there. So it's not just a ramp on the side, but a ramp that flows through a staircase, right? Yeah. Um, for example, right? And so how do we create social ramps in our churches that actually with a positive sense of expectancy expect a much broader uh group of people from our community than necessarily is represents who we have in-house right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah. That's really cool. I'm always so encouraged when we talk, like to think deeper, to love God more, to receive more, but also to turn that around and, and serve better and give better. And so, um, I know this has been for us, this has been a quick conversation. You and I can yeah. normally talk way longer than this. Um, but I just, I know people are already getting a sense of, of the encouragement that they'll get in this new devotion book and in same like different boat um, so that they can continue to learn from you. Like I have learned from you and, and just have their eyes put back on Jesus every day through your writing. So Man, I appreciate you as, as a fellow mom and a fellow minister and uh, minister of the gospel and all that the ways that you serve your church and just 
it's mutual, my friend. <laughs> it's mutual. <laughs> it's it's really cool to just feel, even from Texas and Pennsylvania, feel this kindred spirit of um, mutual encouragement and uh, kind of that we can keep doing it. We can keep plodding along and doing the good work in our families and in our churches and, and that it's worth it. So it's absolutely worth it. It's yeah. exciting. Well, my church has bought copies of your book to give to parents uh, at a respite night. All the ones that came on a respite night got a copy of it. And so as, as churches are looking to do their own respite nights this fall, or maybe they're looking toward the holidays and thinking, man, what can I do to bless these families? And they want to do a little gift gift bag or something. I think slipping some copies of your book into those gift bags would be a huge encouragement. So um, it's been a blessing to me and I know it's blessed the families of my church. So thank you for all of yourself that you poured into this book. It was fun. I really, really enjoyed writing it. Uh, it was it was a, a fun experience to do, actually. And like I said, and I need to go back and reread it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is the book that the gift that keeps on giving, you know, like every six months or so, pull it back off the shelf and say, what did I, what did God teach me and how do I need to relearn this and how can these same words minister to me again? So my, my hope is that, that every page of it points people back to Christ. Yeah. That he is with them and for them, right. And his saving grace and his provision, this faithful provision, right, in his advocacy, right, in our hope for the future, yeah. all those different areas, and that, and that people will see Jesus more clearly because yeah. of that, so. Yeah, and, and live that out, that empowers yes. their resilience, and, and the way they love their families, so. I like that phrase, because that's really true, it empowers their, Jesus empowers our resilience, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good, all right, well, thanks for your time today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. It's been great fun. <laughs> yeah. And all of the links that we talked about, even a link to the book will be in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to make sure that you get a copy of Steph's book, go to keyministry.org slash the podcast and the link will be there for you to grab and click on and then order 15 copies like I did and <laughs> one for yourself and then one for, um, the families that your church serves, because I know they will be blessed by it. So thanks again for your time, Steph. All right, thanks. Take care, Sandra.